to Beyond the Ring, a podcast that covers all things in the stock show industry from the informative to the insane, starring Ryan Rash. You will never make history in your comfort zone. And Dale Hummel. The gay has disrupted my comfort zone. Now on with the show. Welcome to Beyond the Ring. This is Dale Hummel alongside co-star Ryan Rash. Hello, 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 hello. Ryan, did you hear about the new marketing campaign to get tourism back to Chicago? What? Wait, they think people are going back to Chicago? They're trying to get people back to Chicago. Mayor Beetlejuice Lightfoot has put in place free shopping on Michigan Avenue after 10 p.m. <laughs> That's funny. Dale made a it might, it might It might even work. I, See, I everybody think... says you're so negative. Look at you. You made a joke. That's good, Dale. And I, I thought you'd be there. I think we've got Gucci. We've got all the high-end stores well, around Michigan Avenue. I did Avenue. see a woman on the Fox News the other day that was explaining to people that she didn't care if people shoplifted a Gucci or a handbag or anything like that as long as that meant they got to eat. Now, I'm still trying to figure out how stealing leather goods is going to keep them from being hungry. I think they then sell it at a... Like, do they then go to the McDonald's and shoplift the Big Mac and put it in the handbag? Is that how that no, works? No, no, they trade it in for a Big Mac. Oh, okay. I'm with you. Makes perfect sense. It does. If there seems to be no repercussions for any crimes that are taking place in Chicago. Their state's attorney, Kim Fox, and she's been in the news before. There is a little bit of a, a rumbling that maybe she should resign, but but not much of one. She's actually She has out. to resign, but Beetlejuice gets to stay. Yes, and the state's attorneys let out 25,000 felony offenders in the past few months. And they wonder why people are shoplifting. And I'm, I'm going to guess 24,000 of those were on Michigan Avenue the other night on the Michigan Mile. I don't know why they don't think the streets and stores of Chicago are perfectly safe. But Exactly. Do you, do you want to take a guess on how many gang members are in the city of Chicago? The, the best number I could come up with. Uh, don't have a clue, sir. I didn't have any clue either. 117,000 gang members is what they predict in the city of Chicago. But they, they need to defund the police. They, they have no issues. Well, now, that, now look, hold on. Hold up. Chicago has not defunded the police. However, I do believe Portland just has. And Los Angeles took a big cut. I believe somebody we may talk about later was very supportive of their $1.5 million budget cut for the police in Los Angeles. Well, Los Angeles, I, I don't know what to say about them, but Portland, Portland did this. I'm pretty positive. And they have had over 70 nights of nonsense, but we're going to cut back on law enforcement because clearly they, they have it under control. I, I just don't understand where, where that Portland, is that where our police chief was retiring? Or was that Seattle? I think Seattle was, I don't know. They're, they're, they're dropping like flies. But I'm, I think the lady from Seattle did resign. And I don't think it was over funding. I think it was because the statement that I saw from her, she was just like, there's no respect. She has her principles. They can't do their job. And they're not being allowed to do their job. So she's moving on. 
So, so sorry to the Beyond the Ring listeners here, but see, Dale's having some problems, and <laughs> I can't help from laugh. But so there was a big storm where he lives, and he's out of internet and out of power, and well, he thought thought he got internet back up, but the people that supply his internet and Wi-Fi, they're running that tower off a generator. And so he's been funneling gasoline to the generator to try to record this. And evidently they ran out again. So Dale is gone. There's no more Dale. Y'all just get the gay today. That's all there is to it. I know. This is what y'all been waiting for your whole life. But here we are. (laughs) We will try to get Dale back on momentarily. But for now, as he was saying about all things craziness, I want to talk about Joe Biden. And his illustrious vice presidential pick, which we all know that the gay did think that that was who he was going to pick. And there's a whole lot of nonsense going on that's saying how she's a moderate, a pragmatic moderate, by the way. And we all know that she's liberal and supports the Green New Deal and used to be like, pro-law enforcement, and now she thinks that we need to reimagine law enforcement in this country because, again, clearly that's working in the major metropolitan areas. And so she also wants to have Medicare for all. So therefore, if you like your plan, she don't care. It's going away. But she is a pragmatic moderate and a wonderful addition to the ticket. And what I thought was the greatest thing about All of this is when Joe is announcing his pick to the world. He pronounced her her name three different ways in one little short segment. My favorite was Camilla, like a camel. So that is what I will refer to her now as, is Camilla Harris. But I do know her real name is Kamala, but I like Camilla better. So that's what we're going to go with. But uh, so... We were going to talk about showmanship. I don't know if that's going to happen anymore because Dale's not here. So we're going to have a brief pause and see if we can get him back. If not, then I just may come on here and talk about stuff that Dale would never let me. So stay tuned. (laughs) Unfortunately, Dale has got more gas to the tower that is supplying the Wi-Fi to his home. So it is not just me anymore. Dale is back. Hi, Dale. I'm glad to be back. And and I they must have filled up the generator, powers the internet. Well, we are just so grateful that you're back with us. While you were gone, I got to discuss my new favorite topic, Kamala Harris. Would you do you have any thoughts on Kamala? On Kamala, I, I don't know what you have talked about her, but I'm assuming you were fairly positive. Oh, the most positive. I, I love the fact that I was telling our listeners that they have deemed her a pragmatic moderate and yet she supports the green new deal and medicare for all and she was also i didn't get to put this in there before you got to come back but she was also uh listed as the most liberal senator in 2019 she beat bernie and pocahontas and all them other fools she was the most liberal senator in 2019 and also the least likely to vote on an issue that the Republicans had put forward. So the least likely to reach across the aisle and the most liberal senator, but if you turn on your TV or you read a newspaper, 
She is a pragmatic moderate. I noticed the same, and, and you are correct. I saw the same thing. She's ranked 100 out of 100 on being the most extreme liberal. The most. The That's, winner. The grand so champion. When that information is public information, yet some of the media is trying to take her to the center, I am. I, I just don't understand. I guess with that, I am not going to tell people how to vote. Obviously, I think they know where our opinions are, but I just want people to research a little bit on their own not let the media just dictate the direction that they go in terms of their mindset and, and what they think. If you do any research, the facts are there. It's right in front of you. Well, I'm going to put this out there, and I really don't care if you have a heart attack or not. But so next week is the Democratic National Convention. There have been several op-eds saying Joe Biden is not going to be on the top of the ticket, which is one thing. But listening to the people on Fox... Judge Janine said in a segment the other night that she did not think that he would be the nominee, which I found, and that just came out of nowhere. She just threw that in there. And then yesterday, Brett Baer was talking about Kamala getting picked as the vice president. And again, out of nowhere, he said, Joe Biden will be the Democratic nominee. He has the votes. He has selected his vice president. I was like, why is this even being thrown out there like that? It's very strange. So I can't wait to see what actually happens next week. It will be interesting. And I, I don't know what to believe on this. There's, there's more behind the scenes leaks and talk going on that I can't, I can't sort through it. Did you address the Kamala Kamala yet? Oh, yes. I talked about how Joe pronounced her name three different times in the introducing her as his VP pick, and that my personal favorite was Kamala. So that is what I would refer to her now and forevermore is Kamala. I did I mean, notice she kind of looks like a camel, but... <laughs> be nice, be nice. I did notice when Tucker Carlson used Kamala by mistake, I'm assuming he was uh, accused of being a lot of things. Oh, but not a, not a good... and xenophobic and uh, yeah, all this other stuff. But Joe does it and it's perfectly fine, but... Even, and the one thing that I do want the listeners to pay attention to, even if Joe Biden is the nominee and he actually goes through the election, I just want to put this out there. If he wins, he is 77 years old already. We all know that he has some cognitive mental mishaps. Depending on who Kamala and the rest of the liberals force into the placeholder, Joe Biden's cabinet, at any moment, if there is a majority of the cabinet that deems that he is no longer mentally fit to serve in the capacity of president, they can get him out of there and boom, Kamala's the winner. And she's in charge, just like that. Literally, just like that. Food for thought, people. We need to we need to do some research. Look at look at where she is. If you agree with where she is, jump on board. But I, I cannot imagine many logical thinking people that actually uncover the way they, she's jumped around. They don't they don't have to do any research. Let me tell you something. I'll sum this up from you. She is from San Francisco. Do you know what happened yesterday in San Francisco, Dale? I am unaware. Well, since there is no tourism or anything because of Rona. They have been letting the homeless people live in hotel rooms in San Francisco. 
And yesterday, there was an explosion in one of those hotel rooms because they had made it into a meth lab. Oh, my. And these weren't – these. I did hear something about that. These weren't the local Motel 6. This was Four Seasons no. and a few others. Th- these were nice downtown hotels. I mean, you wouldn't stay in them because they were, you know, been there for a while. You have to have one that's only been up six months. But, yeah. Clean. And, Remember, and, clean. Uh-huh. And so, anyhow – yeah, meth lab is discovered. So now that's all being, that's all done. Homeless are back on the streets. That is interesting. That's where she's from. Let's let's move on. Do you see that President Trump announced a peace deal between Israel and United Arab Emirates? I did see that this morning, and it's that, getting no traction whatsoever at all. That, and I'm not saying the, these deals never seem to hold, but if that were to truly hold, that. That is a huge step in the right direction to try to stabilize the Middle East to a certain degree. Just that motion. I don't know that it's going to work or hold, but if it does, it's it's huge. It's better than nothing. I agree. I and, and again, I I just heard that's a like when they were all bitching about Kim Jong Un and all this other stuff. At least he's trying something. Yeah, no that that's a start, and and I think it's a good start. I I hope that we can do some of these things in a manner that towards China that we have a collective set of nations going the same direction saying, hey, enough's enough. And you can imagine, I want to continue to research the Chinese virus. China! Um, briefly, briefly, I'm not going to spend much time on this. I wanted to pass You're not going to talk about China! No, no, just, well, the Chinese virus, I guess, and indirectly I'm talking about China. But I need to pass on some information I had uncovered Um, in a conversation with an individual that is closely tied to the head of the virology department at Harvard. This person has been to Wuhan lab. He knows the director there very well. He's considered one of the leading experts on viral concerns. He is currently in lockdown in states that those that are going on TV talking about this isn't that big a deal or we should stay in lockdown. It's the worst thing ever. In his mind, the head of the Department of Biology at Harvard, he says, I do not know what to think of this. I don't know what kind of long-term effects are coming. It could be very minimal to nothing, or it could be relatively serious, even with asymptomatic people. The fact that he doesn't know, he's erring on the side of caution and still has his family in lockdown and is going to stay as such until therapeutics and or vaccines are readily available. So this this concerns me to a certain degree, but he's very open. He says, I have no evidence to state that it's going to be really bad or there's going to be terrible side effects. But at the same time, he has no evidence stating that there is not going to be. So he's definitely maybe where I was early on, a little bit of overkill and precaution, not wanting to take any chances. But it is concerning to me that somebody of that magnitude that understands the virus itself so well yet knows very little about the COVID virus and how it's going to affect things. That tells me that, wow, is this truly just a naturally produced virus that popped up? We usually understand more about those kind. If it's been manipulated in any manner, that would cause these kind of complications. Not accusing China of anything, not going down that path, but it's awfully interesting to me that the leading expert in this field truly doesn't understand it yet. And that's that is concerning. With that said, I am leaving, leading a more normal life. I just returned back from California Youth Livestock Expo and 
had an enjoyable time out there. We had California is a hot spot for COVID right now. People from all over the state gathering on an Indian reservation in order to hold the show. I didn't have any issues being there. There were some masks on. There were some social distancing, but in general, a pretty normal show. So I, I think at this point, we have to make those decisions. And I, I respect the decision the gentleman from Harvard is making by locking his family down because he wants to take zero chances. I have a, a friend here locally that, that owns and operates a meat locker, and he probably has 30 plus employees, and seven of them are positive for COVID. Of those seven, basically no symptoms whatsoever. A little bit of a runny nose, a little bit of a, a cold type situation, but but nothing beyond that. So I, I still don't know where to 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 stand on this other than myself and my family are, are leaning towards normality. But with some cautions, let's wash our hands. Let's let's try to be smart about it within reason. But I don't know what else to do. Well, you do know that you were supposed to wash your hands before Rona came out. I, yeah, but I was probably guilty of working livestock and maybe eating a cheeseburger without that hand washing in between. I'm just saying, like this whole hand washing phenomenon, they teach children in kindergarten to wash their hands. I'm just putting that out there. I mean, but I don't know what to say about your virus expert and the fact that he doesn't have more knowledge. I mean, that's a little spooky. I'm not going to lie, but I was on a 20-day road trip all over God's green earth and just got home to this week. Before that, I've been in and out of I don't know how many states and on how many airplanes. And again, I I haven't even had a sniffle. Now, I'm not saying I'm normal because God, we all know I am not normal in so many ways, but I was at one show and not in this past 20 day spread, but I show up at one show and they're like, how are you and the COVID stuff? Like, are you fine? Are you ill? I was like, you're going to get me here. And now you're going to ask me about this after you've seen (laughs) wherever I'm gone. It's like, it's a little late for that. But in my travels, it's really regional. I guess, depending on the level of anxiety. I'm telling you, in Nebraska and the parts of Iowa I was in, I don't think they know what a mask are, which is fine. Uh, Again, Ohio, the places I judged in Ohio, it was absolutely the cleanest stock show I've ever been to because we literally had to sanitize the bleachers after... (laughs) Every one, and then at Indiana State Fair, uh, we all wore masks. And so, I mean, it's really, it depends on where you're at. And it's not just the stock show, but the people in the restaurants, the hotels, you know, everywhere. It kind of, it's about the same. And I'm saying it's the same because whatever is being mandated in those towns is also happening at the stock show there. But so it's really, really interesting. I am glad that you went to California and had a nice time and didn't wear a hazmat suit. And you said that it all was ran extremely well. And you hope that that show sticks around. No, it, it was good. And, and I think the the Indian reservations are probably the only place in California for the next month or so that shows are going to be allowed. And I, I believe they're, they're scheduling some more there, but it is interesting. And if we try to pull some positive out of the, the COVID issues that we're dealing with, I think a lot of these replacement shows 
that are being run well. They're user-friendly, exhibitor-friendly, well-funded. Uh, the, the payouts in, in this replacement show at California were tenfold or more what you would have normally received at the California State Fair. It's it's impressive that they can put things together like that and, and provide opportunities for the youth there in California. And as, as well-organized and well-received as that was, I believe it will become permanent. And that's awesome. Even like I said, even if the state fair comes back, that they have another opportunity, another chance, whether they feed more animals or the same number of animals, they have choices. That that is great. And we can only hope that all the other replacement shows follow suit and again are well run, well managed, do as they say and you know, and hopefully find Similar to the funds in California, I don't know if anybody's going to be able to find that many that much funds because it was a lot. But you know, be comparable to what you would get at the state fair in that given state. No, it's it's exciting. I think with more shows popping up, those that are startups and the traditional shows, competition is good, and it's going to make everybody step their game up if they want participation. And there's many shows to sort between. Those exhibitors are going to follow the ones that are well-run, that are exhibitor-friendly, all the things that, that we enjoy and make it that much more pleasant to, to experience that show. Those are going to be the ones that survive. I saw there was a pig show, I believe, early January in Indiana that's got huge payouts, and several breeders got together to sponsor that one. And it looks like it's going down that path that it's going to be very, very popular. And that's in January? That's in January, early January. Similar dates. I don't. I don't believe it's right on top of Denver, but it's it's right there, pretty close. Very very interesting. We'll have to keep an eye out for that one. But again, just it, and it, it's going to give those people choices. Do you want to go to Denver? Do you want to go to this this jackpot show that that is of a similar time? Maybe you can go to both. And and we hope that we schedule these shows so we can attend as many as as possible. But at the same time, we are going to have some overlap and some choices are going to be made. But that's great when we have a choice to made be able to make rather than just being rattled in one direction. No, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I, I think the most interesting thing that's come out of all of this in terms of the livestock show industry is I think for years and decades, people have just thought, well, the only shows that can exist are the ones that are already there. And real quick, people found out while it is not easy to organize and put together a livestock show and secure facilities and find sponsors, etc. It is also not nearly as impossible as they thought it was. Agreed. And, and that's a, that's a good thing. And it's only going to be healthy for the industry long-term. Ryan, our featured topic for this episode has been a, one of the most highly requested. Today is all about showmanship. This is the topic that it doesn't matter whether I was on my Facebook Live during Rona or people come up and say, please talk about showmanship. This is this is definitely, without a doubt, the topic that has got the most requests. So we are filling, fulfilling those requests for you people. And Ryan and I are both passionate about training stock show kids to, to dial in to perfection in the show arena. This episode might get a little long, but uh, we're, we're going to dive into it. It can't get will, long. They might run out of gas in your generator <laughs> tower. <laughs> that, is, that is not funny, but it is honestly <laughs> true. Uh, the internet is on and off because there's power outage in the town that we're getting our internet from. The provider says we're trying to get out there to fill the generator often, but we just can't be there all the time. 
So we're hoping we get through through the episode. We're gonna we're gonna jump in and, and toss out what I used to to include in every showmanship speech years ago. I used to talk about showmanship is determined way before the show. It's determined at home, not when you walk in the ring. I I like this thought, but at the same time, I'd like to modify it a bit because as more jackpot shows come about and, and more opportunities to get the show ring, not only is that time put in it at home, but those kids that really dial in that specific showmanship animal also attend several shows with that animal and they work out those bugs and the stress that the animal has in the show ring and just acclimating that animal to that particular show ring type environment, it seems to get better with each show. No, absolutely. And I will always say that the majority of showmanship is one at the barn at home, because that's where, you know, you become one with that animal or all of your animals. You have people there that know the things you do well, and you know the things that you need to work on, and that's where you constantly practice to improve the flaws and continue to fine-tune your strengths. And showmanship was very, very important to me as a junior exhibitor. I have stressed it to every child that I have ever worked with or brokered animals or sold animals to, because as we've stated on this podcast many times before, we are to a level in this industry that there are little bitty factors that sort out who wins a class, who's a breed champion, who's the overall champion. And I can tell you from my own personal experience as a judge, even though I try to keep from doing this and always just evaluate the animal solely on its merits, when it is close and there is one that is set up perfectly and the showman is very gifted and another one that either that animal is just not giving that child anything or is absolutely insane because we all do know that I believe that for the most part these are zoo creatures or the child and the animal just haven't had as much experience. It is hard not to overlook that when it's a big decision and an important decision and it is that insanely close. And then the other part of it, in terms of just showing in showmanship, I say this all the time. Not everyone can be the grand champion, hog, lamb, goat, steer, heifer exhibitor. Everyone can be the grand champion kid. And you accomplish that by winning showmanship at that show. I agree. And, and I completely agree with all that time at home and those that in the barn that can, can help you tweak and adapt. And we need to understand each animal is an individual and will need to be treated as such. No two animals are going to be able to respond exactly the same. And the showman will need to adjust to that specific animal. Some animals require a soft touch. Others require more of a, a dominating approach to, to make sure they know you are in control. And, and that's how it works. You need to teach and train each animal to follow your cues. It's just like people. All people are different. Some people are laid back, easy going. Some are like me, like JoJo the Circus Clown half the times. And just like you said, you have to learn how to interact with that given animal so you can gel the most effectively in that arena. But people always ask me, what are the big things that you look for in showmanship? And across all species, I can tell you that there are several things that 
are really important to me. And I'm not going to get into pet peeves yet because, I mean, I can do that and we can do that later. But just the big things for me across all species are, again, from the moment you hit that arena, I can tell in terms of your eye contact, your body language, your presence, and your confidence if you are really in it to win it or you're just going to be there to do a nice job and participate. And that happens in the first 10 seconds when you walk into the ring after that. And I think it's a very important thing that we say from the very beginning that why I think all of those things I just stated are universal in almost every judge. I think that showmanship is highly personal and there are so many different ways that you can judge and critique showmanship that after that, it's going to be a lot based on whoever is out there sorting it and holding the mic on what's important to them. So I can only share with you what is important to me, and Dale can only share with you what's important to him. Again, after the eye contact, the presence, the confidence, the thing that I look for the most is if I had the grand champion sitting back there in my stall and I could put any kid at that show to show that animal to make sure I got to the backdrop, which kid would I pick? That's who's going to win the showmanship. And it, to me, it's not a quiz bowl. There's competitions for that. It's not going to be an obstacle course. I'm not going to make you show someone else's animal. I just want to see what that person can do with the animal that they brought into the ring on that given day. I love that explanation, Ryan, of, of just sorting those kids. Which one would you put the animal in it? That, that makes it very clean and very simple. And it leads me into the next area that, that I wanted to address across species. We have some youth out there that believe we need to show much differently in showmanship than we do in the actual market or breeding show. False. And I, yeah, I'm I am with you. I I'd love to disagree with you, Ryan, but this is this is a big one for me that I my mindset is let's adapt and change however we need to to make sure that specific animal looks its absolute best. And that may be a little non-traditional to get that animal to look its best than maybe what you would normally do in a class or a showmanship class, but if that's what it takes to make that animal look the best, in my mind if I notice that you're doing that, it's a huge plus. But there, there's there's a mindset, I'm afraid, and I don't think there should be any one way to exhibit an actual animal, each one we need to, to work with and tweak and get to that point. But it's interesting to me that when these exhibitors, these young exhibitors especially, get into a showmanship class and there's a judge that makes a specific comment that they wanted them to switch sides or they wanted them to do something, one of their own personal preferences those comments seem to resonate with those youth and they that really gets into their head. And then a ne- the next showmanship judge comes along and maybe it's not a big deal or they want something the opposite. We need these youth to understand that this is subjective. Each judge, just like when we're sorting livestock, are going to have their own opinions. So it's difficult to say we have to do this, this, and this in showmanship. Scratch all of that. Let's do what it takes to get that animal to look its absolute best. It seems simple to me. I think you hit the nail on the head on that. And again, no matter, you're going to run into judges that have pet peeves like I do and you do and everybody else does. And But if you will go out there as an exhibitor and make your animal look as good as it possibly can be, 
you're going to be up at the top, no matter who is sorting. Now, I'm not going to tell you you're going to win, because you might get beat, because you do something that irritates that judge, or the person that beat you does something that really that judge admires. But if you go out there and present that animal outstanding, regardless of your style, regardless of those little things, you're going to be up at the top. It's just, it just common sense for me. And I wanted to reiterate before we, we jump into some of the pet peeves. When Ryan talked about that first few minutes into the ring or a few seconds you hit the ring, each exhibitor's dress, their look, their personality, to me, it's huge. It's an indicator. I can, I can usually predict when they walk in the ring, that presence that they have. I want that calm yet confident look. I want them to be a likable personality. Um, all of these things come together and it makes a huge difference. And once that showman finds that niche or finds that sweet spot that they can come in with that confident, great personality, all those things that come in and just gives me that look, it's, it's pretty overwhelming. And I think judges really migrate to that. I'm not saying that they have the look and they come in and do a terrible job, they're going to win. But usually those that have fine-tuned things far enough to get to that point and understand we have to do everything just right because it is so competitive, they usually end up sticking that animal pretty well. And you brought up dress. And before we go into the different species, the one people ask me this all the time on how should you dress for showmanship? How should you dress for a show? The... The best thing that I can tell anybody, whether it's a parent or an exhibitor, is go to the arena. And normally, about 30 minutes before each show, the judge is going to show up. If that person is in a long sleeve shirt and boots, I'd be finding me a long sleeve shirt and boots. If they're just in leather shoes and a short sleeve shirt, I don't think it matters as much to them. But... That is what I always did as an exhibitor, and that is what, when I had kids showing in showmanship, because I realize right now it's 113 degrees outside, and a lot of people are more comfortable in a short sleeve shirt and, you know, a pair of leather shoes than cowboy boots. But if you go to the ring and you see that person standing there and that's how they're dressed, that is a subliminal message that that is how they expect and what they think people should be dressed like in the show ring. That's that's simple. That's a just a logical manner to to approach it, and I think it's it's brilliant. And and it's going to fit more times than not. And and they're they're going to indicate what they want simply by how they're presenting themselves. Nothing nothing difficult about it. Um, the other thing we haven't touched on that goes across species, we need to maybe go to the ring and, and observe the ring environment in terms of lighting, in terms of slope, whether we're on uh, packed clay or deep shavings, what the ring size is. All of these things come into play, and that exhibitor gets a chance to, to maybe discuss with their, their parents or one of the people on their, their team just what do we want to do maybe a little bit different. And we do get into situations where we, we don't have perfectly level rings. We don't have things that are always uniform across the ring, and we need to be somewhat aware of that. We can't alter where we're going to set those animals up completely, but we can move a little bit to try to give ourselves just a little bit better advantage. Well, and also, if you are not in the very first heat or in the very first class, I I think you're, unless you are in the throes of preparing your animal, because if you're in the second class, you can 
dang sure watch the first class, whether it's showmanship or the show. But if there is any way you or someone from your posse can go watch that first class, they better be up there. Because other than that first class, the judge is going to expect every exhibitor after that to know how they're coming in the ring, so they know where they're lining up, how they're being positioned, etc. You know, the first class or maybe the first couple, you're going to be a little forgiving. After that, you're not. You should know. They're walking in this way. They're setting up here on this view. Then we're walking around. We're coming around here. And then he's going to pull top to bottom first, bottom to top, you know, however it's going to, that individual person is doing it. And like you said, that determines, or at least when I'm coaching or when I'm showing, how the ring is if there are low spots, if there are high spots, and you can go in in any order, that's going to determine where I go in the line. Because if you can avoid the low spot completely by going in first or at the end, then I'm going to do that. And so little things like that, you only will be able to see and recognize after you go and watch. No, and it, and it seems simple, just like going up and observing the dress of the judge when we watch that first class or two and understand how he wants those animals to work through the ring. I'm probably as forgiving as any, but when we get to that third, fourth, fifth class of showmanship and those kids that come in and have no idea where they're to go, they're, they're pretty much done at that point. I just cannot stress that enough that you have to go up there or you have to send somebody because... Again, that first 15 seconds is the first impression. And if you're looking like you don't know where you're going, and especially if you're the first one in the ring in that class and you don't know where you're going, or you make a wrong turn because you don't know the setup, you're toast. Seems simple. And a couple more things before we move into the individual species. Um, let's be cautious uh, the world is watching and let's not get too aggressive with a slap on a lamb or a goat to get them to brace. And let's just use some common sense. And, and I know sometimes animals aren't going to always behave and we're maybe not always going to stay as calm as we would like to. But, but remember, we, we do have the world watching. We have to be conscious of that. And there's one more that we'll probably dive into a little more in individual species. But I wanted to get Ryan's thought on this across species. But the speed that we walk or lead these animals around the ring or drive these animals around the ring, each animal has its own gear, and we really need to find what that is. I understand that if we have a problem, sometimes if we go a little slower, maybe it's not as evident. Sometimes if we go a little faster, it's not as evident. But False. Ryan, where, <laughs> where are you at on this? This is one of my two pet peeves in showmanship. And Uh-oh, so we're getting to the pet peeves. I have one yet. This is one of my two, and so... Uh, and again, I say this at the end of every showmanship contest, so those of you that have shown to me, you will hear this a lot and have heard it. Every animal, regardless of species, will walk at the rate and the speed that it is most comfortable because of its structure and its how it is assembled and aligned. Just like you walk at the rate of speed that you're the most comfortable with, that animal is going to do that depending on how good they are in their structure or what parts of their body it t or feet and legs it takes them longer to get down and put back up because of some imperfections there they're going to go 
at the rate that they're most comfortable. And therefore, if you will let that animal go at that rate that he or she is most comfortable, then that one is going to move the best it possibly can. It When you try to race them around the ring or you try to, you know, hold them back, whether it's a sheep and goat or put a stick in their face if it's a calf or, you know, crank on their head too much if it's a pig, the first thing that's going to do is they're going to suck their neck back, rock back on their back legs, and they're going to be out of sorts and you're going to have to start all over again. Just And if you're racing one, there is no, that's the one thing in sheep and goats that drives me crazy. They just want them to run around there just as fast as they can. No, very few people, even professional athletes, look very attractive running. I'm just saying. <laughs> I love it. I absolutely love it. And that's a great explanation. And, and I agree with that. And you've, you've put it into, into words so well that there's a reason they're going at a certain speed because that is, that is where they have the least pain or the most comfortable, however you want to look at that. And it, it just makes sense. More times than not, it's the least pain. <laughs> yeah, it is. And I mean, that's, that's just how it is. One of my general pet peeves when we're trying to we come into the ring and, and maybe let's say that judge is maybe focused on this one animal and you're pulling into a setup from the rear view or let's go to a profile and you're fidgeting with that animal, whether it's a sheep or a goat or maybe a calf, not necessarily a pig, but you're fidgeting with that animal to get those feet set exactly right. And this whole time that judge is looking at you, think about it. When you've got a hold of that, that sheep or goat's head and you're reaching back there to grab that back leg. In the process, what's happening to that animal? It's probably falling apart and not giving that judge a perfect look. Maybe you're capable of doing it and still keeping everything together, but it's difficult. So my rule of thumb with the families that I work with, if we can get to 80% and that judge is focused on us and and studying that animal right then, let's go with it. Let's get to 100% as soon as he focuses on down the, the line on a different animal and get it right. But when we keep fidgeting with things while that judge is watching, it just about wants me, my, my chest tightens, it, it just eats at me because I know we're not giving that judge a very good look. I can handle 80% versus a 10% look every day. Well, we do disagree here, Dale, because I always tell my kids 85%. If you're at 85%, <laughs> then leave it alone until the judge moves on to a next one. But I, overall, I do agree with you completely, but I always told my kids eighty five percent, and and this is this is hard. I mean, Ryan, how many shows do have you judged? I know I, every every show that I go to will have. I mean, I'm studying that animal, probably one that I I, I think is going to win the class, and they just continue to fidget with it, and they've got that animal falling apart while I'm staring at it. That that does not work. No, and it it doesn't help anything. And then again, the kid gets frustrated because he knows the judge is trying to evaluate that animal and it just all becomes a wreck. And so again, if you can get them pretty close to right, that judge is going to move on and look at something else. And then you can go back and just get it as close to perfect as you, perf- as you can. Let's go ahead and jump into some of the species. And there's, there's plenty more pet peeves we can go into and we'll probably hit some on an individual species, but let's, uh, let's jump into swine with both feet. And to me, I, I, I guess to open swine up and, and think about where we've come the last 20 years in the swine show ring specifically, each species continues to evolve on how we show and the trends that, that we take. And in my mind, you used to be able to send a younger kid out there with a pig 
let him kind of chase it around a little bit, maybe keep it out of the corners, and you might just survive if that pig's pretty good. Guess what? This is no longer possible. The art of showing pigs is, is wow, it's out there. I was never as gifted a hog showman as I was sheep, cattle, and goat. And I think partially and probably the main reason that is is because I did not have a hold of that animal. And so, therefore, when I had a hold of a sheep's head and neck or a goat's head and neck or a calf's halter, then I knew I had more control. And I would always tell my family the reason that I wasn't quite as good with pigs is because they never found one that realized my personality was the one that was going to win. So I was told I could do more damage with the whip than good most times. But I digress. We still went along and did it. But pigs, there's something that because, again, I think there are so many moving parts and pieces to showing a pig. I find it the the most difficult of all the species to show. I'm not going to say it's the most physical. That is a lamb and goat. But I think it is the most difficult of all species to show because there are so many moving parts. And also, pigs are supremely intelligent creatures. And so you add all that together, and it just, there are a lot more things that can go wrong in a hurry when you're showing a pig. No, and I, I love the fact you brought out that they're intelligent. We're going to talk about that a little bit on one of the other species as well. But ironically, the more intelligent these species are, we can train them. But at the same time, when we get to a certain point in that training that they start to get tired of it or bored with it or simply don't like it, they're going to probably react in a manner that they, they are not going to cooperate. And think about those pig shows. No matter how well trained you are, there's a point that you have to break through that they are going to be a little bit pin sour. They know where the pin is in the barn. You're in the ring. They know where that out gate is, and they want to head to it. Now, we can get through it and work through it, but it's their level of intelligence that's that's causing that challenge where in some of the other species, I'm not saying they're unintelligent, but I don't think they're at the level that we see in these pigs, and it's it's huge. What about how impressive it is in terms of how they have some of these pigs trained to, to jack that head up and go? I appreciate the time and effort that goes into training, but do you see some downside in that as well? I think it depends on the individual and the pig, to be honest. Uh, There are several of them that when they come out there, they have trained that pig. And part of it is some of that pig's natural head carriage and presence that they don't have to work as hard to get that head up. Just a couple of taps and that one will keep cruising around the ring with that head, you know, way up there like, you all appreciate it. Everyone knows that I'm a sucker for sexy looking ones and good fronted ones. So the biggest problem that we run into when I'm judging pigs is someone at the back has told all these kids, oh, you got to keep the head up, got to keep the head up, got to keep the head up because he's he loves those good freaky fronted ones, which is true. I also love sound ones. And so again, like I said earlier, the more times that we wrap on that pig's head, to get that neck up and to make them taller fronted, then they're going to suck back on their feet and legs, reach out, roach up in their spine, and that's going to throw off their actual ability to move. And so again, we've got to find a happy medium between the two, but there are some that, whether it is a combination of the showman, the trainer, and the pig, that they can just, a couple of pops on the, that chin and that 
head just stays right where it needs to be, and that animal never misses a beat. But again, that is very few and far between. And when that does happen, you just realize that you've kind of hit the jackpot right there. Uh, One of the things for me that I have noticed a lot that is happening in a lot of the pig shows here lately is not, I I don't know, probably 25%, somewhere around there, are starting to use two whips. And I'm going to be real honest, while it kind of fascinates me, uh, I also think it's probably distracting. And I get if, and again, I believe that you should show in showmanship the same way you do in a class. But if you have to have two whips to make that pig work to the best of its ability, that's probably not the pig you need to bring into showmanship, is I guess where I'm going with this. That seems very logical. And this whole heads up thing, when you say you get that one that jacks that head up and can float across the ring, that is that is hitting the jackpot. And unfortunately, we have a lot of pigs that structurally are not built or capable of doing that, yet we're trying to force them into that look. And it's compounding the problem even more. When I take families out or, or my kids out to look at young hogs, we can take a whip with us and, and have that pig lift his head up to, to chew on that whip as, hard, as high as that head will go. And one of our, our flunking factors is, guess what? When they get that head up, even as a baby pig, they're starting to buck over on that knee. We're changing that whole placement up there through that shoulder on those that weren't meant to get that head up. And consequently, when we're trying to jack that head up as high as some of these kids are, we're stumbling up front. We're tucking from behind, just like Ryan had talked about. And it's really creating a problem. I'm not saying go in there and let them have their nose on the shavings, but let's find that happy medium that, okay, instead of jacking it all the way up, let's let it drop a few inches if they're going to get out and move that much better. And I, and I think we're going to survive that a whole lot better. And I'm not trying to pick on the swine industry because we've pushed the envelope so far on muscle and opening things up that there's just not enough of them out there that are truly that sound that can, can do what we want them to do in the ring. So a lot of times, kids or family members ask me in terms of hog shaman, do you take a brush? Do you not take a brush? What do you do with your free hand? And again, this answer is going to be pretty vague, but every kid is different. And depending on the kid's height or how they look and how they, you know, just naturally walk and interact with things, it's going to have to be tweaked and changed for every kid. And I tell people all the time, that the difference between a good showman and a great showman is great showmen make it seem effortless. So in terms of pig showmanship, however you look the most natural, whether it's holding a brush in your free hand or just having it there by your side, I'll, I'll be honest with you. Me and other people, you know, I've seen that I think are just mad talented in terms of Hog showmanship, a lot of time they don't have a brush in their hand. They use that hand just to guide that pig out of times. And But again, whatever is going to make you appear the most relaxed, the most confident, and the most natural in your delivery, that's what you need to do in terms of whether you have a brush in your hand or you have it in your pocket. What do you do with your free hand? The one thing that I am going to say, the days of putting that free hand behind your back are gone. So let's stop that. And I don't see it often, but I do still see it sometimes. Let's not do that so much because nobody 
looks natural or at ease with one hand behind their back. And so that's my comments on that part of it right there. I love when Ryan talks about effortless and putting your hand behind your back and doing some of these things doesn't lend itself towards effortless. And I like that Ryan discussed the two whips and so forth. And when we have two whips out there, we're not making it look effortless. I understand if if that's the only way you're going to get that pig shown, I'm in. I, I can accept that. But let's go if in an ideal situation, again, not all pigs are going to allow this to happen. But ideally speaking, I want to see that easy, effortless approach where when we take that whip and we just approach the pig's head without even tapping on it, that pig knows how to respond without even touching it sometimes. Those are the ones that, wow, we can, we can get them effortlessly across the ring wherever we want to go. We can find that open hole and just, just go to it. We haven't talked about that yet very much, depending on the size of the ring and how many pigs are in that class. And we, we discuss it sometimes, but inherently when, they're, when you're bunched up in, in a big group, it's, it's just more difficult for that judge to study that pig. If we can break out on our own and maybe predict what direction that judge is going to be looking next, that, that's always a positive. And I think most kids understand that, but sometimes we get a little caught up and, and don't break ourselves out of that crowd maybe as much as we should. A lot of times when I'm judging hogs, I, I, I can read as much about muscle, shape, burliness, density from the side view as I can, whether they're coming at me or going away from me. So I always, I will motion a lot of times in the actual class to put them on the side view. And in terms of breaking out, me personally as a judge, I can see a whole lot more when you're farther off me than when you're down at my feet or right in front of me. And so, you know, if I ask you to drive that pig at me so I can see that pig and how he moves or that guilt moves, through the chest floor and how those feet strike the surface, absolutely do that. But I would say more times than not on all judges, you can read just as much on that pig from a further distance away than they're right there down at your feet. And if that judge needs to come in for close inspection on something specifically on your hog, he's going to walk over there and do that. So I would say in terms of more times than not, if you can break out and be just a little bit of distance off them where they can get the whole view of that animal, the better off you will be. Also, in terms of showmanship, uh, and there's going to be some hog people that cringe when I say this, and I say it all the time on the mic, and they cringe anyway. And so I do not care if which way you open the gate, how quickly you get it closed, latched, all that other stuff. Because again, I'm there to find the one that I would want showing my pig. And when the money is on the line at a major show or at a state fair, and most likely a county fair, someone's going to be open and closing that gate for you. So you can just concentrate on showing the hog. Now, I know in showmanship we've got to do that, but as long as you get that gate shut, I don't really care how you do it or which way you open it or anything like that. The other thing is, I'm not going to throw down boards and have cones and make it an obstacle course because, again, that doesn't happen in a real show. And so those are my little two other things on that. And But I'm not every hog showmanship judge, and you have to gear and react and do the things that that hog showmanship judge 
want you to do that's in the ring that day. I'm just giving you my personal stance on it. So if any of our listeners are ever showing to me, they will understand that those are not big, important deals. Perfect conclusion on the swine side. In lieu of my internet providers, generator, and keeping it full of gas, we're going we're gonna to move on to the next segment. Ryan, we're going to talk about goat showmanship. In my mind, one of the most difficult species to train with huge variation from animal to animal is a goat, similar to how Because Ryan they're the dumbest. No, I think they're similar to the pig. They're too intelligent. No, no question. False. No, no question. The more intelligent the animal, the more difficult. I don't know where our producer is with the bell or the buzzer or whatever, but when you talk <laughs> about goats, they need, you need to be censored. But anyway. I wish I wish they were less intelligent because I know they would be easier. They, they find a way to get out of Our listeners it. do understand he raises goats, correct? And, okay. and I'm being negative towards them that they're the most difficult to get to show properly, and there's more physical effort that needs to be exerted. But anyway. I consider them of a similar intelligence level as a pig, and one of the reasons they can be, and a horse, I guess, I could bring into play. These goats will get barn sour pretty easy where they never want to walk away from the barn, and they're going to run back to the barn. And this translates to the show. As soon as they figure out where their pin is relative to the show ring, they'll walk fine going that direction. But to turn that corner and walk away from the pin, some of them have difficulties, and there are Differences, Ryan. I know you have this. I find this hard to believe, but just like people, some are more intelligent than others. And, oh, and there I fully is... believe there are some that are more intelligent than others. I'm saying, <laughs> as a species as a whole, they don't. Got it. So, some things that we we try to do is is mix goats up within the pen so they don't get sour to one another, and they they will bond very closely, very quickly. And when one leaves the pen, the other one's hollering and getting it upset. It's it's a difficult. So, anytime we can alternate pin mates anytime we can ideally take them out of the barn other than exercising or, or doing things that aren't real pleasurable we need to make that a positive experience so when we get that halter on them they're they're excited to go that direction or, or whatever we want them to do so a little bit a little bit challenging and ryan you get to judge quite a few quite a few goat shows and and i guess i'm still seeing probably as much variation in showmanship styles and techniques in the goat arena and it's getting much more consistent the past couple of years uh than i am other species are you seeing any of the same i think it's gotten way more consistent in the last three years may i mean maybe push it maybe four but in the last three years i think it's gotten a lot more consistent than what it has and you know at one time showing a sheep and goat is very similar even though there are differences in between them but I think that if you have the ability to show a sheep well, then you will also have the ability to show a goat well and vice versa. That does not mean that they're exactly the same. One thing that I want to bring up, and this will hold true for the sheep exhibitors as well. Again, and we may have talked about this on here, and if it's I have, we're going to say it again because it's worth repeating. I don't know who started the trend that when you come into the ring, You sit there and you wait until the judge looks back at you with that animal propped up, ready to go, studying, you know, and you want that judge to motion you in. Don't do that under me. I don't know why we started that. It's annoying. There are judges that I believe prefer that. They want to see that chest shot before they come in is the only explanation I can come up with. And, and, and to, if there are judges out there listening to this, that is fine. If that is their preference when it is their time in the ring, 
I'm going to go and look at the chest floor of that goat when they're all in line together. And all that does is keep me, when they stop there and I have to look back in motion, that is keeping me from viewing the whole line of goats moving at one time together. And when structure is one of your greatest priorities, you like to see them all move at the same time together. So that is a really big pet peeve of mine. I can understand that. And you mentioned similar to showing a sheep, and I, I agree with that. Some of the issues that I do have with families that are that first started showing sheep and are now showing sheep and goats or converted to goats, a lot of what I call the the really good sheep showman, we, we have a little bit of an issue getting that hard brace in the goat because we don't have to put quite as much effort into getting that hard brace in the sheep. And the only thing I can say is we've actually bred these sheep for so many generations to stick and brace and everything works well. And They're just more advanced. Fewer. Yeah, exactly. And and we've got, to, we've got to get into these goats a little bit harder to get that brace that we really want. And sometimes the sheep kids will, ha- will have that feel that they have in the sheep and they think they're there with the goat. And I, I've got to take them another 30 or 40% to get to where I want to be. So there's, there's definitely some differences there. Some other things that I, I wanted to touch on. If we, we have a choice between a halter or a chain and, and just about every show in the country allows that choice. It's a Except simple one. Yeah. Except for one. It's a simple decision to me. It's just whatever works best for that kid and that goat. Why, why make it more complicated? If that, that, youth exhibitor and that goat works the best on a chain, then that's what you go with. If it's a halter, go with it. I don't care if it's a fancy barn type rope halter, if that's what they show best. And it goes back to what Ryan and I talked about. Let's use whatever we need to use to get that animal to look its absolute best. I had one of my showmen in Texas, a very, very good sheep showman. He walked that goat in the ring, just like he would a lamb without a chain or a halter. And, and that's how the goat looked the best with his, in his hands. And that's fine. Not, not an issue whatsoever. I think it really depends more on how the animal responds because an exhibitor should be able to maneuver and handle a chain or a halter pretty much. I mean, maybe there are some, a few instances where it is easier one way or the other, or like you said, in this one instance, didn't need any of it. But on the most part, I think that you're going to be, most kids are going to be able to handle either one of those. I think it's which way the animal responds better. I would say more times than not, they respond, especially on the lead, more on a halter. But, again, you have to figure that out with their own animal. And, you know, you're talking about bracing and that it is harder to get the goats to brace. And I completely understand that. And it's like everything else has to be tweaked. The one thing that in terms of getting these goats braced, I hate it when they ramp them up so high off the ground. And like that used to be a huge no-no and we kind of got out of it. But now I think we're kind of seeing that trend evolve a little more than what it should again. I'm not a stickler that they can't pick them up at all, but let's not get them jacked up to Jesus either. And then the other thing is when you were talking about earlier the world is watching and, you know, got to be a little less intense in terms of slapping these things to get them to brace and be hard. Well, the other thing that I want to mention is when that judge is at the animal in front of you, that's when you need to start all that nonsense. 
Don't wait till he's on top of you or she's on top of you, ready to put her their hands on that animal and then pick them up and then slap them and then you know or touch their top knot. They're ready to go. You need to be have all that adjusted and ready when that person, that's the judge, transitions from the animal in front of you to yours. Ryan, you hit a hot topic. I mean, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna jump right on this one. The feet on the ground again. Pop those feet up to get them in place. Bring them up an inch or so, and then ease back down to get that hard brace. I'm good with that. But when we bring these these goats eight plus inches off the ground and hold them up there, it tells a story to me. And unfortunately, I've witnessed many judges that shake the hand of an exhibitor while a goat's front feet are way off the ground. And I chalk that up to an inexperienced judge. We can take these goats up off the ground, and we can force that top line correct. We can force a more muscular expression. But these same goats, when we lower them down to the ground and go to, to get them to walk, these things oftentimes fall apart. They're usually terrible behind their shoulder. Their muscle seems to deflate and everything goes backwards. But for some reason, some of these judges just don't get it. They don't say, let's ease it down or at least look through. To me, if we have to do that, you're telling me this goat just isn't good enough. And I may be being too hard on it, but that's that's as honest as, as I can be. That a, a common goat can be forced by lifting them that far off the ground and putting that hard of a brace on them by a larger kid to look more massive. They can look better in their top line. And as soon as they hit the ground, they look like a pile. It just, it just doesn't work. This is 100% in my opinion on the judge to either look through it or instruct them to get those feet down closer to the ground. I'm not saying don't ever lift them off the ground. And I actually instruct our kids on occasion to bring them an inch or two off the ground to get that hard brace, then ease right back down to the top of that shavings. But think about it, trying to keep that goat as high off the ground as they do. It takes a big, strong kid to do that the entire class, and, and some of them will do it. It it really wears on me, though. I'm I'm pretty critical on that, and I apologize if I'm offending anybody, but that's as, as truthful as I can be on, on that particular topic. Um, so what Dale is saying is jack your hair up to Jesus, but not your goat. Exactly. I'm I'm good with that. The other thing that I that I see happening more in the goats and the sheep kids have kind of gotten away from this. When we look at pictures and so forth, when we're, we're setting these goats and sheep up on the profile, and we'll stick to goats for now, a lot of times it may look like we're pulling that head and neck into us, when in all reality, guys, and, and I see this all the time, when we're pulling an animal into us, we've lost all muscle shape. We've, we've taken that animal out of whack. If we try to take that head and neck and push it back into the animal and let them drive into you, everything works much, much better. And we've got to be very conscious of that. And also that the, the next thing that I see, especially when these goats are being handled, we cannot overstretch these goats. Let's, let's think of it in a common sense manner. Think about uh, trying to flex your bicep, fully extend your arm and try to flex your bicep. You don't get very much. Bend your arm at the elbow like you normally would to, to make a muscle or flex your bicep. And I think you're going to see much, much more. Same thing when we're jamming these goats up just a little bit for the handle. We're going to jam that muscle up and we're going to be able to, to express much more muscle than if we get them even a couple inches overstretched where everything loosens up and flattens out. It just doesn't work very well. So be really, really conscious of that. We, we're making a big difference, especially on that handle or when the judges are simply looking for a rear view. If we're overstretched, we're flattening everything out. Just, just that simple. One of the biggest differences that I see in between sheep and goat showmanship, even though the principles are a lot the same. 
Because goats are not as naturally level-hipped as sheep are, I think when you're on a profile, and I think it works, goat exhibitors have a tendency to stretch them out a little more to try to level out those lines and that balance, and it does work. If you do that in the you don't have to do that in the sheep, but then again, when that judge comes in to handle, just as you said, you've got to correct and go the opposite direction on when they're feeling on the side view profile. Nope, exactly. I'm glad you brought that up because we, we do set them a little bit different on the profile. And if I'm going to try to gear or dial in to just perfection on, on that profile, I would prefer to see that show side rear leg maybe an inch or two in front of the off show side rear leg. And if we can have that under there just a little bit, we're getting much more of a muscular shape through that that hip and leg. And again, this isn't something, remember, we talked about fidgeting to get it perfect. This is something we worry about when the judge is not looking to get fine-tuned in that way. And everybody's going to have their own preferences, and every goat's going to be a little bit independent. So so go with who's ever training you and in what direction you think they need to go. One other point before we move on to cattle that I wanted to bring up, this is very counterproductive to what I believe we've done in the show youth livestock arena. The goats that once they understand how to get through the ring, once they understand how to brace and set up and lead, we have to be careful how much time we put into setting those goats up on a daily basis because we get to the point where it's just a little bit uncomfortable for them. And I'm going back to their intelligence thing. When we set them up every single day and it's uncomfortable, the more we set them up, it appears as though some of these goats, not all of them, but some of them will want to step out of that particular brace more frequently the more we work with them. So it sounds crazy, but sometimes in our goat thing, once they get it, less is better. So you take that for what it is, and, and again, only my opinion, but just the years that, that we've worked with our kids and, and different families across the country, some of those families that are putting the most time in, even on the lead, Sometimes it seems like we're becoming counterproductive, and, and I'm not trying to tell you to spend less time in the barn, but we do have to be smart about it. And the biggest thing I can tell you to get these goats to cooperate in the ring and, and do a better job cooperating with the exhibitors, I love the work and the time at home, but when we get them to a show, by the time we get through that second, that third, that fourth jackpot show, these goats really start to get in the groove and they cooperate so much better. So. I don't recommend, and, and we're very guilty of it. We don't take our kids out showing a lot until we hit the national shows. And if Kansas City is our first or second show, we're struggling a little bit. So we're we're trying to evolve and get them out to a few more shows prior to that um, to make sure we don't have some of those issues. And the more shows you hit, the, the easier it is to get that goat to cooperate. Ryan, let's move on to cattle. I'm going to talk about right sheep. To you. We'll do that after cattle. Okay. I wanted to break it up a little bit. I know you're excited about moving to the cattle side of it. I just thought it was more logical to do sheep days, but we will do cows. What would you like to talk about cows still? I think that, that there's, I mean, I think we're going to, we're going to cover some of the same things we've already talked about, but it's, it's the competition. I'm not saying there's not competition in the goat and the sheep and the hog show ring, but I'm telling you more, I guess in my mind, the cattle ring has, stepped up to a competitive level that was extremely high, maybe before the other species. I'm not saying it hasn't evened out, but if I go back in time, that level of competition has been crazy high for a long time. I agree with that. But again, I just think that that's because 
showing cattle's been around probably as long as any of the species, and the longer something's there, the more competitive and the more fine-toned it gets. And and even though maybe we've shown pigs and sheep as long as we have shown cattle, I don't know if the competition level in pigs and sheep has been as high as cattle wars at the very beginning. And so I think that's a great part of it. Uh, In terms of cattle showmanship, I think the same things that we've talked about in terms of all species, your confidence, your body language, all of those things continue to ring true, how you dress, dress for the judge. Uh, In terms of showing cattle, you know, I think because you, just like in pigs, you do have an instrument out there. You have a stick. You also have a halter. You know, there are some things that we can focus on there. I think the most important thing in terms of that stick is, once again, it just needs to be an extension of your arm, and that's how it needs to be used. And so, therefore, we don't need to go too fast. We don't need to go awfully slow. Uh, We don't, when we're leading that animal, we don't need to take that stick up and hold it like the Statue of Liberty's torch to where it's distracting. Again, it's just an extension of your arm and making it blend in and be as natural with you as possible is the way to go. In terms of halters, uh, I don't know. There's big trend right now in terms of people putting white halters on white animals, and I'm going to tell you, I think it's absolutely distracting and nonsense. If you've got a white one, put a black halter on there. It just I, I don't know why the white halters are distracting on white animals, but they are. It is just a fact, and I'm not the only one that believes that. And then we have this trend now of these cable or wire halters. Again, in, at Texas majors, or at least last year, we are not allowed to have those. Uh, I do not see the harm in it if that's the way that that animal reacts and works the best. Again, I think if you can use a leather halter and get the same results, you're probably better off because, as Dale has said, the world is watching. And for some reason, even though I don't quite understand it, a lot of people think those wire halters are very detrimental to the animal. And so, or cable halters, wire halters, whatever you want to say, are very detrimental to that animal. And so, again, you got to go with what the rules of the show are and what gets you the best results. I mean, personally, it doesn't offend me either way on that. Uh, I do want to say this in terms of equipment. Y'all know that there is nobody out there in the world that believes in bling and rhinestones more than the gay. <laughs> that is a fact. Let's leave... The multicolored show sticks and the blinged out show sticks and the blinged out harnesses and the blinged out halters. Let's not time out. Time time out, gay. I I assume that they brought this on just to show to you. Well, if they did, it was not because I advertised it. (laughs) I would leave all those things in the show box. And maybe, you know, if you're just really into it and you want to show it a jackpot show with it, that's fine. I think at, again, when the money's on the line at the state fairs, at the major shows and county fair, I think, again, that that takes away from the animal just a shade. Now, if you want to have a rhinestone belt and a rhinestone shirt and a rhinestone bow, I'm all for it. 
Put the bling on the kid, leave it off the animal and the equipment, I guess, is the best way that I can go about stating that. And so those are some little things in terms of equipment. That what, what color is the microphone you're using right now? It's purple and pink. Okay. I just, just wanted to check. And your point is? Nothing. Nothing. I never showed in a ring without a black or silver show stick. I didn't even get to use blue ones. Didn't want That's, to. That, that sounds a little boring. According it may to be, but it got the job done. <laughs> got it. When you talk about the, the wire halters, and, and again, I'm with you. I don't, I'm not personally offended by them at all. And if it makes that animal show better, I'm good. But we do need to remember whether it does or does not harm the animal perception is everything. So anytime we can make a choice and the animal's going to behave just as well on things that the perception maybe is a little more positive, we probably need to lean that direction. Not saying let that dictate it, but given the choice, let's go that way. Again, as far as pet peeves in terms of cattle showmanship, mine is just like I stated earlier, when you put when you put that stick in front of that calf's nose, the first thing it's going to do is it's going to suck its neck back into its body, roach up in its top, and go underneath itself in terms of its hind legs. If you'll keep that show stick out to the side, again, it's an extension of your arm where your arm is. Keep it off to the side so it doesn't inhibit that animal's movement at its natural pace. Now, I realize that there are going to be times when one gets scared or something spooks it and they're trying to run and you're going to have to put it up there and, you know, grab its attention and let it know who, let that animal know who's in charge. But just to have that stick in front of their nose nonstop 24-7, that is not something that we need to do. And then, you know, again, a lot of times people ask me about when the judge handles your animal in terms of combing, stuff like that. When you're in the actual show, you're probably going to do this the same as you would in showmanship. That guy comes up and handles your steer. He's going to go around, look at the back, and move on to the next one. That's probably when you're going to comb up that animal. In a showmanship contest, a lot of people have the tendency to want to comb the hair right after that judge handles that so they can make sure that it's noticed that they did it. If the guy or gal judging showmanship is concerned, if you comb that animal, they're going to look back when they're on the next animal to see if you're doing it. So I would still say, let that judge evaluate that animal, move on to the next one, and then, you know, take the comb out and get all the fluffy cow syndrome back right. And if there's not enough hair or there wasn't as much disruption, leave it alone or do it just mechanically to prove that you know you're supposed to? Well, I think in the regular show, if there's not enough hair there, then don't do anything. In showmanship, if someone is handling your animal in showmanship, 99 times out of 100, they are wanting to see if you'll come. So I would err on the side of caution in showmanship, whether you had much hair on that animal or not, and... Go on and comb. Now, if you're in Texas at a county fair and it, you're showing showmanship and your animal slick shared, he handles it. Don't even worry about it. So, but no, and I'm I'm under the viewpoint that I don't want to do anything out of the ordinary or extra if it's not needed. But I, I, I see where you're coming from. Most, not most, some judges are going to 
going to be a little bit negative if you do not. So right. I, I, and like I, I said, I don't think it matters in the actual show, but if someone is handling your steer or heifer in a showmanship contest, I think it's to see more times than not if you're actually going to use that comb or if you even have one, etc. And so that's why I would just err on the side of caution and do that. Uh, as far as getting them set up, again, on a rear view, keep them square on all fours. On a side view, I have always said that the show side back leg needs to be about an inch further back than the one on your side. Again, it will just level out that hip, make those lines more dramatic, give them that show ring pose and backdrop pose from the side. But every animal is different, like we said. And again, you have to realize where those feet go on that animal that you are showing at a particular time to make it look the very best that it can be. And the only way you can do that is by practicing at home and having someone there who is on the judges, where the judge would be, y'all trying different angles, different feet placements. And the one thing that I did with every single one of my kits, and I think you you can't do this with a pig, but you can do this with cattle, you can do this with sheep, and you can do this with goats. If you were the advisor or the parent or, you know, the person helping, and when they get that one set up as good as they can, and it can't get any better, go grab that animal from that kid, hold that animal in that position, let them go on the far side so they can see what that end product looks like from a judge's perspective, then have them come back Take the halter and the stick or grab the goat and sheep again and memorize the setup of the feet right then. So they have a mental image of this is where it needs to be and they know what it looks like from the other side. Brilliant. And Ryan, I missed how far how far staggered did you want those hind legs? I've always said on the on the show side, like one an inch to two at most on the on the show side far leg going further back than the offside. And again, I'm not sorting as many cattle shows, but I the few that I've I've sorted and, and watched here recently, I think they're setting them considerably farther than that. Or a lot they of are, are. But again, this is just my personal I yeah. want it just enough to pop that hip out and to make that muscle just just have a little bit more delineation right there. i you know, and there are animals that because of how they're made in their hawk or other things, you have to set them further back. But in an ideal world, an inch or two of stagger is plenty for me in terms of just being an inch or two further back, not the width from behind, but further back from the offside. Correct. Exactly. Excellent. And I, I know that we struggle, especially with some of the younger kids to get that head carriage right and get them to keep that head up on the move. What, what do you recommend at home to, to implement to try to help with that? I, I think the best things that you can do in terms of little kids trying to keep their head up and stuff like that, uh, one thing that helps a great deal, if the animal is fairly docile and fairly calm, you can buy those spiked halters that it when the young exhibitor goes to lift up on that head, 
those spikes come under the chin and that will naturally make them want to elevate that head without as much force. So that is one thing that has worked pretty well for a whole lot of people here recently. And then again, if if that animal is too sensitive with that, you can wrap some of those spikes in vet wrap so it's not as abrasive. And, you know, you again, you've just got to play with each individual animal. The other thing is that, and again, it's hard to convey this to a little kid, but some of those little kids are just as talented as a 19-year-old, depending on their drive and determination and, you know, things like that. I realize that a 60-pound child is not going to have the stamina or, you know, just the brute force of a 180-pound 18-year-old. And so I have always said on those little kids, you know, if you've got to walk around the ring halfway where that head, not down in the dirt, but isn't exactly where it's got to be, save your strength for when you're in that judge's view and just really ramp it up when you're right in front of him. And when he's moved on to the next one, you can let it die down a little bit and, you know, save your strength for the next time. Never encouraging them to not have the head up, but to get it up where it's got to be only at the times where the judge is there when you're working with a little kid. That that makes perfect sense. And I have a little bit of a pet peeve, and I, I haven't discussed this with you, with you, but I'm going to bring it out on the sheep side as well. What about taking that show stick and, and loining that or putting that on the top or loining that calf when the judges may be looking? I don't. Again, this kind of goes to like when I was talking about on the goats, get everything right before they move to you. So, and I, I do think that the vast majority of the animals in the ring can be benefited by being loined, whether it's just a little bit, some of them, it takes a lot more, but I think a lot of that, uh, the vast majority of the animals can be better. What I tell the kids that show for me is when they're two away, you get that thing loined. And so, and even if you've got to press a little harder than what is ideal, that top will raise back up and when he's two away it'll be just where you wanted it when he has you in your sights and you know something that we haven't talked about in this episode and we've maybe addressed it enough in the others but across species we haven't talked about those kids that are staring to the sideline more than paying attention to what's going on in the ring (laughs) looking for the coaching and you've 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 addressed it many times but i don't know that's a pretty important one ryan you might want no, to and, touch on it. We probably should have talked about that at the very beginning on all species. Again, to this day, when I am showing cattle in arena, when I get them set where I think they need to be, I look to someone in the audience to make sure that I am right. And all they do is either shake their head yes or shake their head no. And if it is a no then I readjust. I don't have to have them, you know, hold up a bunch of fingers or make a commotion. But again, you're not on that judge's side. You're on the different side of the animal. And a lot of times, you know, it's not like when I was a junior and I had these cattle at my house every day. I'm sticking for other people. Sometimes never had these, shown these animals before. But again, All they have to do is nod their head yes 
are not their head now, and then I can figure it out after that. I think that that is perfectly acceptable, whatever age you are. Have somebody out there, when you think you've got it right, look that way, and it's either a yes or it's a no. And if it's a no, figure it out. I also don't mind little things like telling somebody to loin one. You know, I think where it gets distracting is the yelling, the really dramatic hand motions and signals and, you know, the when they're right there on top of that child talking to them nonstop, whether even, you know, a lot of times it's like, oh, you've got him, you've got him, you've got him. Okay, if he's got him, then shut the hell up, man. And let the kid stick. <laughs> exactly, and I, I'm I'm perfectly good with what you're saying. And and I I'm coaching kids from the outside, whether it's my kids or families we work with. But it, it as long as it can be done where that the judge doesn't even notice, in my opinion, is is ideal, or it's not distracting in any manner. And I take it back to kind of where Ryan's at. Just a yes, where you're good. Give them a little confidence that things are right. If we're a little bit off and and they're not noticing it. Sure, let's let's reset. But it can be very minimal. It can be very non-distractive. But some of them take it way, way, way too far, and it it becomes almost that the children or the youth that are in there showing aren't even paying attention to what's going on around them in the ring or where the judge is at. They're too worried about focusing on that coach, and it ends up being very detrimental. And I'm gonna I coach all the time too, and because that is the system that we have developed that has worked best for us. It's either a yes or a no, you know, when you're in the heat of the moment, you always don't feel that animal move a leg or shift weight or something like that. So I'm going to be the first one to tell you that if something like that happens and whoever is showing for me does not realize that, I am going to do something subtle, whether it's they know my whistle or something to catch their attention so they will look and check and see. And so again, I'm not just going to tell you that I don't, you know, make sure or draw attention to the fact that sometimes we've lost something and it needs to be fixed. But again, it is done in a dis- try to be done in the discreetest way possible. Excellent. Well, I think uh, out of concern for time and, and generator fuel and things like that, we're going to bump into the sheep side of things and. I guess in in my opinion, a lot of things we talked about on the goat side probably applies in here, but it's it's interesting to me. The one thing I'd like to just throw out there in the beginning, we talked about walking speed, whether we go too fast or too slow, and Ryan so eloquently explained that each animal has its own speed that it's going to walk comfortable at. I'm going to pick on on some of the market lambs that are out there in the ring. Please do. Because we're able to put so much shag on these things and we can carve that hind leg to look like whatever we want. And that's great when they're propped up. They may look structurally perfect. But when we set these suckers into motion, oh my, we we need to maybe focus. I'm afraid that extra shag on those legs or leg wool, whatever you want to call it, has been a detriment because we can cover up a lot of flaws if we don't lick them, if we don't study them in motion. With that said, these sheep, if we try to go too fast, we try to go too slow, anything we change is alter or hypersensitive because there's some structural issues there. 
I do not understand. And it, it's not as bad in goats. I do not understand why I would say almost half of the sheep exhibitors want to race the sheep around the arena. I'm going to say it. it's under the assumption that if we go fast, we don't see that la- that instability in the hawk and the issues. We we're it's just harder to to bring out. I, I don't know. I, I I'm not. Sure. And maybe maybe that's it. If we just hurry this thing around here, then he can't catch it. It we is. You can just say he he looks bad because he's going fast. It it doesn't. If you are, if you can read structure at all, that does not wash. It does not Do- work. Do you enjoy when you, you get half the ring of sheep that when they're on the move, they push that top way up on you? Do you enjoy that? No, that I don't. I don't enjoy that. And I talk about it makes it easier to sort them, doesn't it? Well, yes, it does make them easier to sort them. But, you know, again, talking about things that does happen. And so, again, if you have one of those sheep and you're going to do and you're going to push that top down while you're moving, make sure it's not when the judge is <laughs> dead level on you again. The two before, kind of like loin and calf, drop that thing's top when he's one or two in front of you so he doesn't see you doing it. That is one of my pet peeves. You you nailed it right there. Not only when they're they're on the move or right before they brace, but or when they're stopped. I, I see it so much in the sheep ring, we just keep drilling on that top, drilling on it. It doesn't matter whether the judge is looking or not. And then I take some of these sheep kids in the goat ring and they start doing that to me. All it does to me is you're th- waving a great big old red flag. That my my animal is is got a screwed up top line. Literally, you are literally putting a laser focused red light on it. I mean, I you don't, are. I don't. I don't understand how we haven't conveyed to the exhibitors. I'm not. I'm, I'm blaming the parents or the coaches more so that we're not thinking through this. Let's do that when the judge isn't looking. That's great. Kind of like we get to the backdrop, drill that top down, get your hand away, take a picture. That works when the judge is staring at you. No, no, no. But no, I, I completely agree. And then the other thing in terms of sheep that I think we've gotten better, but making it look effortless and and just because when you're in a class, the sheep, even though they're in a line, they're not always lined up exactly the same. So sometimes when you're coming from behind on a profile view, this one's here, you're going to handle this one. Well, you're either going to go this way or the other way to the next sheep. And it's just which, how far to the right or left they are that's the most natural for the judge to walk. And these kids will flip-flop back and forth on which side they're bracing from because they think that the animal's got to be between them and the judge. And yes, I agree that is a big thing when we're walking, but... If a judge is simply going there to rehandle those animals, I do. I think it is more distracting to try to switch sides back and forth so much just because he's gone on this other side to handle the one next in line. I would say stay in the same position, stay locked down, have that one. Because when you move, the animal is going to adjust and have to be redone. And then if he mo- the judge moves again... You're back to where you were before. I I find that extremely distracting. Uh, and they're like, just stay there and stay locked in position. And you've got that one right. And just stay there. I, I, I don't get the 
constant flopping. You just took my second pet peeve. Thanks, Ryan. Appreciate it. Oh, sorry. I didn't know that was your pet peeve. Now, this 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 is interesting because I noticed this the most years ago in California, and especially in showmanship. Evidently, judges have came through there, and I've asked the exhibitors, why, why are you doing this? I, it just hit me really odd. They said, well, such and such at the last show said we have to, to keep that animal between me and the judge, and we've got to move back and forth. But I cannot emphasize enough, when you've got that animal stuck on a brace, and you're, you're showing to the show side like we should, let's not do that, guys. Let's, let's keep that animal braced, because there is no way you're going to transition to the other side and keep that animal looking as good as you can. This all circles all the way around that be careful. Remember every judge, and and I guess if you run into that judge again that wants you to do it, I I guess you better do it. But I didn't see it as much in the, the actual show itself. And with that said, that tells me that these exhibitors are smart enough to know that that animal is not going to look as good. So let's go all the way back to what Ryan and I talked about in the very beginning. Let's make that animal look its absolute best. And whatever we're doing to do that is where he and I want to be in terms of a showmanship situation. And then just one little, and again, a lot of the same principles for goat and sheep. Uh, I do think that, you know, we do have to stretch those goats out just a little more on the side view profile to level out those hips. In sheep, you don't have to do that as much. So again, the first thing that happens when a sheep stretches out is either the loin breaks and the lines break, or they look, they appear to be too straight off either end of their skeleton. And so, because they are stretched out and the angles are not what they naturally are. So again, let's try to avoid that. And then the other thing for me then again, if we ever get to this level in breaking a showmanship, you uh, you know, deciding a showmanship, it's going to be super, super tight. But I will say, I want the sheep kids to know that when they're handling those sheep and they have them locked in their brace, it if it is possible to keep those ears forward and up on those sheep, it just changes the dynamic and the look of that individual sheep. Again, it's not a huge thing, but these are the little bitty fine things that I think do help. It's not going to kill you, but if that is something that is possible and easy to be done, if you can just bring those ears forward instead of letting them folded back or hang down there at the side, it does change the dynamic and the aesthetics from the side view profile. That That's interesting, Ryan, and, and it applies to goats just as much, and we did not hit that there. You, you grabbed a piece that we just about forgot about. I had a family of ours that, that I w- had been working with for a couple of years, and they were recently at a show, and, and the judge really got on the microphone and said, hey, I don't want to see these ears up on the goats. I want them down. I want to, and the excuse was, I want to see the chin. I didn't. I didn't comprehend. Well, I hope that person's not listening because if they are, they're dumb. <laughs> no, be nice. I just was confused because I'm with you, and everybody has personal preferences. When you get those ears up, it just is an extension of that neck, and it just it changes the entire aesthetics and dynamic. I'm telling it you, it does. And I'm not saying let's go out there and hold the ears up and let the rest of the goat or the lamb look. No, terrible. again, I said this is the fine, fine, little bitty things. That's just like 
if your animal, if your steer heifer is set and you're perfect and that judge is coming, whistle, blow on his nose, her nose to make those ears come forward, it changes the dynamic. And it's only after everything else is right you go to these things, but that is something that can completely change a sheep and a goat, and it also can change a calf. On the calf, because it's not something you can physically do by pulling the ears forward, you know, you have to work with that calf at home, and whether it's talking to them, blowing on their nose, you know, tapping them on the nose with the stick, whatever will get that animal's attention you have to do. Again, if it's going to cause the animal to break its set or do all that, don't do it. These are just when the little bitty things that if you're that good and you can pull those out, then that puts you even farther out in terms of the league of your skills and expertise. Absolutely, and I think that's that's huge. And we're kind of covering the basics of showmanship here in this episode, and maybe we'll do another episode that goes into those finer details and those finer points. And we we talk about some of those things. If we can get that that head and and, and neck jacked up out of that animal and those ears up. And then rotate that chin down just a little bit to get everything that that perfect look. It sounds silly, and these seem like very minor things. But They're whether not. it's showmanship or, or or looking to to try to win that show, that whole shoulder structure and how it ties together, it all changes when we we start rotating that head up and down. We can do a lot of things with the position of that head on on a sheep or a goat, no question. Well, Dale. I don't know what else there is. I think we've... You're, you're just afraid we're going to run out of fuel in the generator again. Uh, Well, you know, it's already happened once, and then you came back. <laughs> I was really hoping I was going to get to finish out the whole episode by myself, but well, that wasn't Well, I'm excited, and I was going to throw out one more thing. Our question and answer episode went very well. Ryan and I have actually discussed possibly, and we'll, we'll put this up on, on our social media, possibly taking two or three questions at the end of each episode, and, and we'll try to maybe start that next week. Um, so we can continue to have that contact from from our listeners. And, and some of the questions they have may just evolve into an entire episode, but there's there's several of them that we want to make sure to address that don't that aren't necessarily big enough topics to make the whole episode that we'll just toss them in there at the end. But I look forward to it. It's it's been an interesting week and I've enjoyed the the time we've we've had here discussing showmanship, Ryan. I hope our listeners I get some benefit from this particular episode. I thank all of you for your support and be safe until next week. Y'all come back now, you hear? 